What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Holotics Podcast. Now, if you're back from the video that we did last week, welcome to part two. And for those, if this is your first time listening to our episode, welcome to another Raptors episode. So pretty much in this episode, we talk about the roster preview, the roster that we currently have together for this upcoming season. So here we have Eric, my co-host, and we have our special guest, Risi. Uh, they'll be pretty much breaking down what the stats prediction might be like for the upcoming season. They're going to give you their thoughts and input. So yeah, I'm going to pass it on to Eric, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Peace! All right, so let's just do a quick um, player-by-player view now, I guess, of the starting five that we initially picked. Maybe mm-hmm. we can go into the bench mob as well, but we'll go player-by-player. Player. We'll mention their previous season stats, just their points, rebounds, assists, their shooting splits. And then let's just, I guess, give our views very briefly about what we think uh, they're going to be. Are, you know, Are they going to do better this year? Are they going to do worse this year? You know, Maybe what are the reasons why? Mm-hmm. So we can start with Fred Van Vliet. Behave. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I chill out. I chill out. I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm calm down. I'm calm down. Um, if you want to voice your opinion of why you dislike Fred VanVleet or why you don't think that he he might be you know um, ready to take on the Kyle Lowry role, then by all means, I'll give you a platform to do that. But <laughs> I do want to bring up that um, I believe it was it was um, it was uh, our friend Giro Twenty Two was his handle. <laughs> OG Juan Kenobi. I think he's the one who brought up that. Uh, Fred Van Vliet was, I believe, in the top 10 of expected assists per game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, against the criticism that Fred Van Vliet isn't ready to be the point guard, he isn't ready, you know, he's he just dribbles the life out of the ball and he'll never be a playmaker. That is something that's been raised. Um, so in that context, if you wanted to criticize Fred Van Vliet, absolutely. I just thought that that would be, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to know. So what no, would you absolutely. think about Fred Van Vliet? His stats were 19.6 points per game. Again, this is the Tampa season, let's remember. So 19.6 points per game. He shot 39% from the floor, which is obviously the, the sticking point. Um, mm-hmm. He shot 36.6% from three, 88% from the line. He had 6.3 assists, 4.2 rebounds, averaged 1.7 steals, and 1.8 turnovers. So what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Fred Lee? What do you expect him to do this season? He's a good he's a good basketball player and he's gonna get better. I know that and his trajectory is it's been linear for him, whether or not it's aesthetically pleasing. Um, I don't think Fred is a bad playmaker. I don't I think he's one of the upper echelon guards in this league. Sometimes okay. it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good because it just there's more value in some of the tough shot creation that he's forcing upon himself. If anything, I'd prefer OG and Pascal to get those touches as just better athletes, bigger. They finish at the rim better. Fred's problem has never been getting to the rim. He can get to the rim at will. Elite handle. He's got good wiggle. He's not blazing fast, but neither was Kyle. But like good first step, you know, shifty can get past you. Good in pick and roll too. When he decides to engage as a playmaker, he's one of the best in the league. I know that. His thing is in a down okay. year where, yeah, in a down year where the team struck Pascal struggled, OG was kind of finding himself in his role. Everyone else essentially sucked. When he tries to put the backpack on, that's when there's the problem. I'm hoping that the depth that this team added with adding Scotty, you just added Gary um, towards the end of the year and you got him locked up. You added a precious Achua, you know, you add Goron that that need. And he'll learn that as he gets older. Point guards, they 
they get better well into their late twenties and thirties. The game slows down for them. It's, it's like playing quarterback. The quarterbacks are not their best at 24, 25. Tom Brady's going on at 44. He's seen everything, right? So I expect Fred to get better. His thing is, if you know, you're never going to be the best finisher at the rim because you're five eleven, five ten, right. And you're already a dead eye shooter. I just would rather take away some of those layup attempts. It'll get the efficiency going and get more shots up. You can, in a pick and roll setting, they're playing drop on you. They're always playing drop on you because they know his dumb ass going to try to lay it up over a seven footer. That's not, but you know, you can shoot like, you know, that midi is there for you. Right. His thing Which is, is why we saw him working on the floater as well this season. This Absolutely. Season. And I know you're going to make some good points about that. And I'm glad you brought that up uh, and I'll leave that for you. to. T- but so with Fred's thing, I know he's going to get better. A lot of his thing is just mentality. Like you're, uh, probably our second best player on, on most nights. Some nights you're our best player. You're a key cog. You're a leader. Sometimes that fuck it. I'm going to do it all myself attitude. He's not good enough to do that. Right. Like the trays, the Lucas, the Brian's, the Katie's that's their game. Right. But you can fall in the Kyle Lowry, you know, type level where you're just always impacting winning and it doesn't need to be, I'm going to lay it up over a seven footer that I can't get good position on. Right. And I think he knows that. I think he's heard the criticism, but there's so much to like about his game. Again, he has wiggle. He can get to the rim. He can, once you collapse the defense, that's where his playmaking just shines because he's always going to collapse the defense. He's, he's pretty quick. He's good quick, first step. Tight handle. Yeah. Good passer. He's got good vision. Like he, he knows he makes the right plays and he's a dead eye shooter. You can run high pick and roll with him all day, and that's a threat because he can shoot from range. One of the and best range shooters in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's he's like third or fourth in the league after Stephen Dame. It's him like shooting like thirty four percent from shots that are damn near just inside three point line, right? So they're gonna they're gonna pressure you at the point of attack right off of that screen. At that point, his playmaking is just so valuable. So I want to see him know his strengths and sometimes understand his weaknesses of all right, maybe this is not a layup for me. So I'm optimistic on Fred Van Fleet. There is all-star potential there. If I hit on him, it's more so the aesthetics that I've loved Fred Van Fleet's trajectory. I'm a big fan of his. He hits big shots. He's not scared of the moment, but it's like, now you're the focal point, right? You're the point guard. You're the lead guard. The offense is going to run through you at the very least until everyone else like Scotty and Pascal get ready. You need to elevate these guys. And sometimes elevating everyone else doesn't mean that I got six, seven assists a game. You just put them in better positions to succeed. And sometimes an open drop pass, you know, a a dump pass is there for you. Going up against two seven-footers is not conducive to winning. But I think you'll learn that. I think he knows that this is going to be year two as the lead point guard because essentially last year was year one. So I'm optimistic on on Fred. I I really am. And people read too much into the tweets. Everything is in the moment. You know, it's all in the moment with me. Like. He's You're cheesing a lot of people on Twitter with your Fred slander. Yeah, that's personal. <laughs> like, if you got you got to deal with that. If that if that's what you think, I like Fred. I like him as a basketball player. I'm happy he's on my team. But uh, if there's an upgrade, obviously sure. But I'd prefer he just upgraded his game because I think he can. So, and I think it's probably very likely that we're going to see a major leap because you know, yeah, he was technically the main point guard last season, but there must be something that goes through your mind when you're like, all right, this is kind of my team now. Now that Lowry's mm-hmm. gone, this is really my team. And that's probably really motivating to think, Absolutely. you know, now I got to really put in the work because I got to be, I can't be, you know, I can't be the leader telling people to do better if I'm not doing well myself. You know, I can't be shooting Absolutely. 38% from the field. I can't do that next year. So that's why we, we're seeing him develop different parts of his game. 
Um, for me, just I want to quickly respond to, you know, uh, I want to raise one point about Fred in response to what you said. I just want to say that with respect to his rim finishing, I've always said the same thing, that I don't think it's an issue with his ability to finish at the rim. I think the issue is his shot selection. I think that sometimes he just doesn't have great shot IQ on the inside. And But, you know, like, because we've seen him, you know, dribble past Giannis and finish with Giannis just waiting there. Like he, he didn't, he's not Lowry. He doesn't give bigs, you know, those kind of like shoulder nudges to create separation. He doesn't. And Giannis was just waiting there and he dribbled past Giannis and then laid it up. And and Giannis was just waiting for the ball just to slap it down. He was right on Fred, but Fred did some next, you know, type of acrobatic kind of thing. And, and, yep. and he, so, you know, it's not a lack of ability for me. I think it's definitely, you know, uh, just a matter of, of just kind of getting into that's the mental. Yeah. So that's, that's always what I've said. So, you know, and, and shot selection is way easier to improve than rim finishing if you're, you know, bad at it and also short, right? So, you know, that Absolutely. that's another factor to, to to consider when we're thinking about, you know, how good is Fred VanVleet going to be next season? So if we're going to be real quick right here, like, what do you think his stats are going to be? For me, I think he'll shoot probably 45% from the floor. I think he'll be a lot smarter and I think he'll be a lot more locked in knowing that this is his team and they're back in Toronto. I think it's a lot easier to concentrate when people aren't fucking booing you. <laughs> I think he'll shoot around 45% from the field, which is what Pascal shot. I'd, I'd say, I'd even say 38 to 40% from three. That's probably what Absolutely. I'd expect. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say maybe 22 points per game. I think That'd I think that amazing. he could break that. Um, and maybe eight assists, three rebounds. That's that's okay. what I think I'd expect from Fred. How about you? I'll say, I'll say 19 a game again because you're going to see more Pascal OG getting their shots up so 19 a game i'll say 43 percent from the field because i think we'll see not so much because the rim finishing is at that level i think it'll get marginally better um i just think he'll take more three attempts because he can get those threes whenever he wants Mm -hmm. to and he can hit them i think he'll hit around 38 percent from three not so much because he can't be a 40 plus but because he's going to be a volume shooter from three and he's going to be taking a little more difficult more from range um got that step back more off pick and roll um or at more for like a high screen and roll um i think i i would not be surprised if he hit seven assists seven and a half assists i could see that um i see him right around that one and a half steal range you know he's a really good defender the low center of gravity um and then turnovers doesn't really turn over the ball because he dribbles the shit out of it so I mean, if, <laughs> you know so uh but under two under two turnovers a game Right, so Fred Van Vliet, what would you say his off-season homework would be if you're Nick Nurse? Because for me, I said that it would be his floater. Because as you were talking about, um, you know, if you know that you're going to get blocked and they're going to play drop coverage on you, then you you know it's you should be taking a shot. But sometimes, you know, he you know we saw a little bit of a leap in terms of the mid-range jumper, kind of like at the uh, you know on the inside of the key. We saw that, and and that was you know exciting, and it, it's useful if you know you're going to get swatted at the rim, especially if you're going against a lot of like really tall bigs um and especially agile bigs that are going to blocking like you know your Mobley's your Giannis's so we saw some footage this off season of him working on a floater and so far it's looking mm-hmm. pretty nice so it does, it is. if he can get his floater then you know screw the mid-range or, or anything like that you if you just have that floater then that's nice because that means that when they play drop coverage on you you can exploit that you don't have to go to the rim all the time and if they know that you have a floater they'll guard you more closely and that drop coverage isn't as effective as it as it otherwise would have been so for me that would be his off-season homework because the more attention that 
he can draw, you know, when he when he attacks the paint, the more pressure he's able to put on the rim, the better he's able to open up the floor for his teammates and overall just become that, you know, that floor general that Lowry was. So for me, it would be the floater. But what would it be for you? Uh, outside of the floater, that's a really good one. Um, comfortability shooting from range off high screen and roll. I think there's a lot of money to be made there. More high screen and roll. Especially, yeah. Yeah. Someone of, of a threat of a Scotty, even a precious that can grab the ball and actually dribble the ball downhill and is not scared to make a play or even a Pascal. But the threat there is Fred Van Fleet can hit these and he'll take a lot of them throughout the regular season and he'll make a lot. So high screen and roll, even more so sometimes working on weaknesses, honing on those strengths and just being a demon. So high screen and roll, being ready to shoot the three ball from range. And I think that's an excellent point because as you pointed out earlier, he is a really, really strong range shooter. Like you said, top five, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, that, that being able to do that would, would definitely open that up because he's, you know, he, he'd be able to hit those shots. Did you, was it actually 35%? Is that what he hit from three? It's like from around those? 30, I'd like to say 33 or 34%. And it's second, it's, it's like third to Stefan Dame and ESPN put that Man. stat out. So I'm thinking he's not, ne- he's never going to be Steph. He's never going to be Dame, but I like his offensive skill set to have a high dose of Dame like plays and Dame like oh, yeah. sets for him. And it all starts high screen and roll. Well said. With a, yeah. Good yeah. point. All right, so we'll go on to Gary Trent Jr. then. So he had 15 points. Um, I wish that we had his minutes here, but that didn't come out in the stat sheet. But 15 points, shot uh, 40% from the floor, 38% from three. He had uh, 2.6 rebounds, 1.4 assists. What do you think that he's going to be this season? I think marginal improvements everywhere. I think 16 a game because he will shoot the ball a lot is not – much to ask for for him you know he was traded for norman outside of this past season with norm norm wasn't breaking 16 17 a game so if you get 16 from gary you're pretty happy there so i say 16 a game let's call it 42 percent because again a lot of his game is catch and shoot or making tough you know one dribble pull up two dribble pull up so it's not like he's getting himself easy buckets so 42 percent from the field i say around 39, 40% from three, that's where his money is going to be made, and he'll get better there, as he already is, one of the best catch-and-shoot guys. Um, Say three rebounds, he's not a rebound threat. He's not going to be there. He'll get out and run and station himself at the corner. Uh, I don't don't know if he'll get a steal a game. I I haven't seen that. Um, Hopefully he doesn't turn over the ball a lot. I'd say under two with someone like him, he's not really a creator as a dribbler, so a lot of him is once he gets the ball – it's make a quick decision and shoot the ball. So, um, yeah. And then assist wise, uh, three, three or four, I'd have to see the stats. Um, I don't know Gary to be, a an elite playmaker or a good playmaker, but he's adept. Like he's decent enough. You know, he knows if it's not there for the most part, he'll kick it back out. So that's what yeah, I, I, I don't think he was any type of, you know, I don't think he was an impressive playmaker last season. Um, he had that one really nice pass, you know, kind of like in his earlier games. I don't know if you remember, but like even top shot was like, damn, like, I think it was like behind the back. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was like a kick out to a corner and it okay. was a corner to three. It was super nice. Um, I'm going to try and find it later, maybe tweet it out, but you know, he has shades. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Just being able to read the floor and being able to make the pass when it's there. We don't really need him to be Kyle Lowry, right? Like we've got absolutely. lots of good playmakers with, with Siakam, with now Scotty and Fred, you know, I think we'll be okay. Even Kem, right? So we don't yep. need him to be that. I think that we absolutely. can both probably agree that all we need from Gary Trent is to be our off the dribble guy. Just shoot off the dribble, be really good at that. And that's it. We don't need yep. you to even be an amazing defender, though it would be really great if you could be because, you know, then you can really nail down your starter spot. Just be mm-hmm. really, just be our shot creation. That his, you know, he, we, we're really, really going to be dependent on him to be a shot creator for us this season. Last mm-hmm. season, it was Kyle Lowry and, you know, Norman Powell when, when Lowry wasn't there. The last couple seasons, it's been Kyle Lowry, really. Um, Pascal in the early, you know, first half of last, of, of the, you know, the same season where we went into the bubble. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of shot creation burden on him. So he just needs to make sure that as long as he's set in that department, I honestly don't care what else happens. Just be our guy that we can give the ball to when we need a bucket. That's it. If you can do that, I'm good. Yeah. So even if his percentages stay the same, as long as he's taking more shots off the dribble, more difficult shots, and he can nail all of those open shots, that's all I need from Gary Trent. Um, More grease. Yeah. So I don't. I don't really think that. Um. Yeah. I'd say I'd probably agree with the majority of of your of your um of your predictions. I don't know. I think points is the only interesting statistic that I'd say maybe. I don't know. I'd say. I could see him averaging maybe like 18 points, you know, ahead of that 15, especially mm-hmm. if, it's, if his minutes are going to increase. He could even be a 20 point per game scorer. I mean, you, know, you, you never know. That doesn't mean he's going to be an all star because, you know, there are a lot of 20 point per game scorers nowadays. But, um, but yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably the only thing. I'd say, yeah, he'll shoot around 40% from three. If he can improve his from the floor efficiency from 40%, if he can get closer to that 50 mark, I think that would be great. I think he'll probably shoot around 45% from the floor. I think, you know, same as Fred. I think that they'll, you know, they, they're both tasked with difficult shots, but I think that they'll maintain a high level of efficiency. That would be my prediction. Gary gets the 45% from the field with the way that he hits threes. That contract is a sweetheart deal. Because I don't think he's a good defender, but he's not a bad enough defender that he's consistently night in and night out getting hunted. He's probably your best shooter in the organization right now. Maybe yep. if you want, you can, possibly you can call OG, but probably your most consistent catch and shoot guy coming off screens, hitting shots. If he can get that efficiency to 45, just because it's, it's not going to be because of the three balls. It's going to be because of the more things that he can do inside the arc. So that, that'd be, it's a 45 we're we're cooking. Oh yeah. That's hundred percent. Like he, you know, even with respect to that defense, I mean, his on ball defense, there's nothing wrong with it. I think he's going to be a fine on ball defender. I think it was the off ball defense where we saw a lot of his deficiencies, you know, too many late mm-hmm. closeouts, not great contests, even when he was right in front of the offensive player. So if he I can agree. just clean that up and I think that there's every possibility that he will, you know, never underestimate the leap that a player can take during a Raptors guided off season. You know what I mean? Like I, look I, at what OG's been doing. So yeah. All right, cool. So that's Gary Trent. OG Ananobi. Whoa. OG Ananobi. So he had 16 points per game, uh, shot 48% from the floor, 39.8% from three, essentially 40%. So he actually shot higher than Gary Trent, and he's our three. Um, I think he was our leading three-point shooter. No, Utah Watanabe was. Okay, so (laughs) we'll get there. (laughs) But apparently Watanabe was. Um, 5.5 rebounds, 2.2 assists. 1.5 1.5 steals. Uh, what, what do you expect from OG Ananobi? This is the fun one. 22 plus a game. I'll give him 23. OG's going to be a dog. I just, yep. I'm all in. Chip's all in. I don't give a shit if this comes back and, you know, blows, blows up in my face. 23 a game. I'm going to say three and a half assists, 
because I, I think there's some playmaking there. I don't think he feels the game well enough just yet to get to like that Pascal four or five range, but three and a half rebounds about five, six. Yeah, I'll give him six. I'm going to just be very optimistic. I think 48% from the field. I think 39, 40% from three. Uh, I don't know too much about turnovers, maybe because this is his first year that he's going to get a lot more ball handling duties. I would not be surprised if it's like two and a half, three, like it's quite a bit uh, similar to Pascal, where it's just you're got a lot of offensive burden, also defensively that, you know, you're going to see some games that are not going to be very pretty from OG is going to be a little sloppy, but I think he's going to improve the ball handling. If he improves that dribble pull up, it's it's over because he can already shoot from a lot of platforms. He can already hit difficult contested shots he can already hit one dribble two dribble pull-ups he's got a little step back that he's shown he's not scared of shooting off of screens as well or off a of pick and roll um the mid-range problem when it's an open mid-range he drains those his problem is dribble pull-up so if you just you know off the dribble that's his summer ball handling that's his summer and i think he's just always gotten better i'm very optimistic on og i'm gonna say 23 a game and i think it's not difficult to say by the end of the year, he's the best player on this team and he's probably the focal point franchise guy. So I'm all, I'm all in on OG. I 100% agree. I, I don't know if I'd go as high as 23, though I would not be at all surprised if he hit 23. I'd say he goes from 16 points to 20. I'd say he'd be a consistent 20. I think he's going to have a lot of really monster games, like, you know, like early, you know, like low 30s, mid 30s. I think he might have quite a few of those. But um. I think that especially with Pascal out, if he's going to be out for a large portion of time, I think that he's he's you know he's our best defender by far. It's not even close. He's arguably the best perimeter defender in the entire league, and he's only 24 years old. I don't Absolutely. think that's a ridiculous claim. So he's going to be spending a lot of energy on defense, on defending the best guy. When when we play Giannis, guess who's on Giannis? When we play the Lakers, <laughs> yeah, guess who's on AD or LeBron? When we play yeah. Philly, guess who's probably on Embiid, you know so mm -hmm. i don't think i i, I kind of want to see what that's going to look like um i know he's going to get the ball in his hands a lot more but i don't know what his motor is i i think that's that's the thing is he going to have enough stamina to be able to defend the best guy and score at a super high level i mean we saw it look i mean 16 points while he was also our best defender is pretty impressive on its own so i wouldn't Absolutely. be surprised at all but you know i i'd say i'd say 20 i'd be very happy with with 20 points per game you know, good efficiency and uh, difficult shots being taken. Like if, like you said, if he can improve that off the dribble shooting, man, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh yeah. man, oh man. And I we think that with there. his, when you were talking about his efficiency, uh, with his strength at the rim and with his offensive package, I mean, he's got a hook shot, he's got a floater, he's got a close shot, he's got, you know, he can, he's got a standing dunk that for his size yeah. is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Um, and he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, you know. So you you add all those things together, and you just say, yeah, you know, he gets better on those kind of like more niche areas, like those more niche spots of the court, the mid-range, the you know, the kind of like off the dribble pull-ups. Like that would be, I I could definitely see him finishing at a high clip for those reasons. Like I could see him being, you know, forty-eight, fifty, even fifty-five percent. If he absolutely. really, really uses his strength to his advantage, he could bully almost anybody in the East. Absolutely, because he's quicker than you know. He's quicker than LeBron. He's uh, and and he's stronger than that, that's something that something somebody said about LeBron that he's like he's not as strong as this guy and he's not as quick as this guy, but he's quicker than the strong guy and stronger than the quick guy. And I'd mm -hmm. say that that's probably you could say the same thing about OG. So, OG, absolutely. Yeah, so that's what I think about OG. But yeah, you know, I think he's going to be our guy. I, I agree. I think that. 
He's going to take a massive leap, especially with that work that we've seen on his handle. That's going to create a lot of new stuff for him, and I'm really excited to see it. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm I agree with pretty much from... everything you said, but yeah, man, all, all the chips in, bro. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, so Pascal Siakam. So we're not sure how, how long he's going to be out for, but, um, you know, we saw, I think, I, a, a massive leap in terms of shot creation uh, this last summer. We saw, not this last summer, sorry, this last season, he developed a mid-range. He can shoot off the dribble a lot better. We saw a turnaround fadeaway jumper. You, you know, we, we saw kind of a little bit of everything. And if he can take that even a step further, which is going to be difficult because of his shoulder surgery, but if he can do that, he can return right back to that all-star form that he was in before the before COVID hit, probably even better. Like, he might even be hitting better... Uh, even better than, than that, Pascal. And the only thing that I'm looking at right here is that he shot 29% from three, which we'll get to in just a second. But if he can just pump up those percentages, man, like there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about Pascal, especially after that shot creation leap. So I'm going to quickly read out his stats. So he had 21.4 points. He shot 45.5% from the floor, 29% from three, 82% from the free throw line, had seven rebounds, four assists, and one steal. So what do you think about, about Pascal Siakam? What, what are you expecting from him this season? That's another guy that I'm very optimistic on. And I know uh, I have a pretty love-hate relationship with Pascal, but the love-hate relationship stems from I can see a potential dark horse MVP really? vote garnering player one day. Okay, vote all together. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, like, uh, and I, I'm not the only one that thinks that uh, Rico Hines and Phil Handy, both, especially Rico, Rico Hines thinks – he's a future MVP in this league one day. He thinks he's a future. Oh MVP. yeah. Like his, his ascension is, can I get you to be a top five player in this league? So, and, and so there's the optimism with Pascal. Pascal's problem has always been, can I put everything together? It's not about, can I individually like just do this one singular skill set? It's can I, within the course of a game, can I put everything together, all my counters, all my go-tos that like the toolbox is just filled up with just tools when I need it. Right. And I think a good thing with him is, especially with those soldier, uh, shoulder surgeries, it's not so much that I need to be out seven months, six months. It's a lot about, I, I am probably good to go after a couple. It's just about, can I get that strength back? Can I get my body right? And then also the new skills that I add, can my new skills fit what my body type is going to be as I'm you know, recovering and getting back to where I need to be? So you already see like his Instagram stories and stuff like that. He's already dribbling the basketball. He's already working with a skills trainer. I'm not surprised if he's even participating in full five on five runs. I would not be surprised. And PG was doing a lot of that too. And then, you know, right before uh, he went to the Clippers, but he didn't start out the season. Right. So that uh, off same off season sh shoulder surgery. Um, but yeah, I think that his game just continues to get better and he continues to add new dimensions. It's just, can he put it all together? So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 24, and a lot of that is I think we're going to take the Celtics route a little bit where the main focus scoring-wise is going to be Pascal and OG. You know, scoring tick has been up throughout the league. I'm going to say 24. I'm going to say eight rebounds. I'm going to say five assists. I think that five assist thing is going to be very stable for him. Just he commands so much attention, and he just knows where to go with the ball. At the very least, maybe not super consistent, but you see some games seven, eight assists, some games two, three, kind of rounds out. He'll get his five. I think the efficiency is going to be the key thing. And I really see that the efficiency is going to come back because a lot of the, his thing is I can still get to the rim. My touch has been off this last year and a half 
but he's had damn near elite finish at finishing at the rim his first few years in the league. And that first half before the bubble, one of the best finishers at the rim can get to the rim in a plethora of different ways. So I'm going to say, I'll give him, let's say 47%. I, he'll get a few basis points added there. I think his three ball will revert and he'll get to 36%. That's going to help him get from 20, uh, 21 to 24. Um, turnovers, I'll, I'll keep him around two because he'll never be in a, like a, he's not going to have guard handles at six, nine, but he's going to have real good wing handles for a six, nine power forward. So yeah, yep. 24, eight and five, 47, 36 split uh, free throws. Let's call it. He's already at 80 plus now. So uh, he's always gotten better. Let's call it 85. Like he'll even, he always gets better at that type of shit. So yeah, that's what I got for him. I agree, man. Like he gets, his handle gets disrespected so much, so much like, bro, <laughs> I'm playing nine, 2k. Like- I'm playing 2K. I'm seeing Pascal, and this dude is doing like a like he can barely complete like a through the legs. I'm like, yo, what's going on, fair, Doug? Man. That's not true. This dude's actually nine. got a tight handle. Same with OG, and and they yeah. they don't they don't get a, given a lot of credit for it. Like people think that they're kind of like zeros in terms of handle. OG a little more sloppy. Like OG's thing is once he knows what he wants to do, he can do it. Uh, Pascal's got a pretty good feel of the game. Like the feel of the game is real nice with Pascal. Yeah. A lot of his thing has always been mentality. It's like. If I get beat up, like, I don't know if I would like, you know, if I, if he starts out 0-3, it's going to be a bad game. If that first shot goes in, Pascal is rocking and rolling. It might be a 30-piece. Versus yeah, yeah. OG, OG doesn't feel the game that way, and a lot of it is he hasn't gotten those on-ball reps. But he's a very intelligent kid, very smart guy, you know, off-court, yeah. on-court, very intelligent guy that I think with those reps, it gets better. The one thing I agree. With Pascal, yeah, Pascal's 6'9". You're not going to get 6'3 ball handling, but as a 6'9'4", He's one like he's a above average ball handler and absolutely he doesn't get enough credit there. So, yeah. And just kind of like one last point I wanted to add on um, what you were saying about how his efficiency is going to go up by five, six percent. You said, I think that one of the main reasons that can happen is, I mean, what happened? Obviously, we know what happened after COVID hit. You know, he he hadn't touched a ball in a long time. So let's not look at those stats. But before COVID hit, he was killing it. He was a great three-point shooter, especially for his position, and then he seemed to have lost it. And then Tampa Bay, he seemed to be even worse. So now we're in his position where we're saying, what happened to his three-point shot? He doesn't really have one anymore. Well, uh, is that? can you move your head? Is that picture from last season? Uh, I believe yeah, so. It yeah, it is. It is, yeah. <laughs> look, at how, look at how muscular he looks. If you've seen the recent videos of his recent uh, workout videos post-surgery, he has slimmed down so much. Like, it's... Whoa, <laughs> he has slimmed down significantly. He looks a lot closer to where he was in his first season, um, mm-hmm. in, his, in his first season as the main guy. So I think that his efficiency will definitely go up, especially from three, because we saw you know, a significant correlation there between how much muscle he put on and a decline in his three-point shooting. I think now he's finally going to get get his touch back. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think I think I agree with pretty much everything you said again. Like I think that twenty four is a reasonable number. I think your your number of rebounds, yes, five assists, I can see that. Yeah, and, and I think uh you know I I I think that his his overall efficiency is just going to get significantly better now that he's slimmed down and he's gotten those off ball reps. I'm glad that he's fixed his shoulder, though I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen. Like, you know, how long is he gonna be out? Is he or is or is he going to be load managed? Like how serious is the terror? You know how easy is he going to aggravate it? Oh, he's a man. Uh, I mean, he's going to get stronger. Like he's not going to stay at whatever weight he is. He's going to add probably an additional 10, 15, but he'll be a little slimmer like towards the end of the year. That's more ideal for him, especially when he lost weight in COVID. 
him and the team have come out and said, you know, we kind of like him a little lighter. He's got kind of that explosiveness back that he kind of lost after that groin injury um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, so with Pascal, he's still he's going to get strong because he needs to be because you need him to have that strength for all the the the, the toll on his body for the defensive end. Like just his defensive load is just crazy. And you need some of that some of that strength. Sometimes he needs to bank. He needs to get a rebound. He needs to push and go. And he, he plays in the post too. And you need to get post position. You need to kind of get that weight back, but he'll find a happy medium where he'll still be explosive with the ball, you know, uh, and just with the shooting, you know, a couple of years ago in that championship run, he was about a 39% shooter from three or like 38, something like that. A lot of those were, you know, wide open catch and shoot. I don't think he'll get to that level because he's going to take way more difficult shots. But if you're at 36% from three as a six, nine, power forward that can kill inside and keep defenses honest and you're taking tougher shots. You're shooting over people a little more contested. Um, yeah. You're, you're kind of, you're cooking there. You're cooking with grease there. So absolutely, man. All right. So our last guy, Oh, I think we kind of skipped a lot of off season homework. Let's go back and quickly, quickly fill that in. So for Gary Trent jr. What do you think his off season homework would be real quick? Gary Trent's off season homework is I, I better dribbling. Uh, he needs to get that dribble yep. better. Um, it, he's not an explosive athlete but he's a great shooter and he has a good motor. A lot of it is if, if he can just get a couple moves to get past people at the very least, create a little additional space for him. It's the, the optimism with Gary Trent is he can hit tough shots with creating no space because yep. he's not an explosive athlete and he doesn't have a good handle. If you can just get a couple moves, just say you don't even, you don't, you don't need a lot of moves, just two, three dribble moves that can create you just an additional few inches of space. Um, to get that good shot off, he has a high release point, uh, good follow through, like good body control, you know, keeps his weight almost centered while rising up. There's the appeal there. So if he can just learn how to create a little more space from him as a dribbler, uh, he's going to be a better basketball player for it. So I agree. Just improve his efficiency, kind of like his feel right off the dribble, shooting off the dribble. If he can just practice that a little bit more, like you said, kind of specialize in what you're good at, just do that one thing so that you can Absolutely. just be our shot creation guy. That's it, man. I, I, I think that's all he needs to worry about, at least this season. Um, okay, so then moving real quickly down the line, OG Ananobi, what's his offseason homework? Uh, handles for him again. A lot, a lot of with the Raptors, they have like the physical athletic profile, maybe not so much Gary, but it's now time to – it's a lot of skill development with them, right, which is inverse with a lot of these young cats that have all the skill in the world, but they're not NBA – ready physically Luca is an example of that he had all high-end NBA skill day one but he wasn't an NBA athlete so he was just in the gym they got his physical profile ready OG Siakam they're already there physically shit Scotty's already there physically a lot of them is let's add new dimensions to our game and let's put it to use with a lot of five-on-five runs too like the best way you see your skill set develop is just playing a lot of basketball and doing it against good competition. That's why those runs are so important over the summer. I know people are saying, Oh, it's just the, this just the five on five run, blah, blah, blah. But that, that stuff matters. You dribble with a skill development coach all day. Like, like OG has, you want to, you know, put that to use. So yeah, I just want to see OG just, he has the brute strength. He has the explosiveness first step wise, but he's a little bit awkward with his body. And it's not so much that he doesn't know his body. I think it's just because he doesn't feel all that comfortable with his dribbling yet when he knows what to do. Like he has like a little bit of a crossover, like, you know, in the little bit in between the light, you start to see that right when he does those type mm -hmm. of moves, he's very confident and he has great body control. But when it's like, 
they kind of take away my first dribble. Like they got into my spot that I was going to go to. Now I'm looking awkward. Right. So just getting a little more comfortable with your dribble, that's going to show off it is I think, cause he, he has great body control as a defender, right? Everyone's saying, Oh, he's got, he's awkward on offense because he's not all that comfortable with his dribbling yet. So just dribble but every more day. Reps we'll fix that up. Like you said. Yeah more on ball reps, go to every five on five run known to man. And I'm sure he's doing that. He's with dribble too much. Uh, he works with DeRozan and all those guys. So mm-hmm. he'll, he'll get there. Yeah. I think that um, I don't share the same concerns about his handle. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty high on his handle um, relative to most Raptors fans. I think that it's definitely adequate. I'd, I'd say I'm confident that it's adequate. adequate I know that a lot of people would disagree, but I, I would say that it's adequate. I, I think that um, when it comes to the perimeter, you know, when he's dribbling around the perimeter, I can definitely see what you guys are saying. But when it comes to driving toward the basket, his handle looks looks as tight as it needs to be right now. You know, I think that he's, especially with his offensive arsenal, I think if he just gets a little bit better, just a, a slightly better touch at the rim, where he can just kind of drop shots into the net, or if he can even develop a floater, things like that, because we all know what he can do inside of the actual paint. You know, right under the basket, he can do whatever he wants. Um, and we even saw some turnaround fadeaway jumpers and all that. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm generally satisfied with his handle at this moment. And we've all seen that he's doing work behind the scenes this summer. So his handle is going to come back even better. For me, though, I think it's shot creation off the dribble, particularly in the mid-range area. That's where I'd really like to see him excel Absolutely. because then they can't hit him with no drop coverage. Then he can yep. he can say whatever wherever however you want to guard me I got you because yep, right now it looks like that's what they're gonna do because if say he comes back in the season and he's just an absolute paint monster right they're gonna start guarding him like Giannis and they're gonna that start be, forcing us nice. to hit threes and who who do we have to hit are we a particularly great three point shooting team I don't know you know I don't really know if if you'd say that uh, against like really really good defenses I don't know if we particularly thrive i mean that those issues were seen against against the celtics in the bubble right we weren't particularly great when it mattered to step up and shoot and shoot a three ball we couldn't we couldn't really do that is gary trent going to help us with that i don't know right so with that i I think that it's really really important that og is able to unlock that mid-range area and 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 force the the defender to to come up and and actually guard him so he opens up the floor a bit more for himself and for his teammates um yeah so og now Pascal, and then we're up to date. What do you think are is is Pascal's offseason homework? Would you say it's just shooting ribs? Because I think that's what I would say. I would say just just absolutely shoot the leather off the ball until you get used to your new weight, and mm-hmm. and that's it. That's that's all I'd say. It's that simple. Yeah, well, with him, I want a little more dosage of that mid range as well. Just that that and, and the handle. Tighten up the handle a little bit because I do want Pascal to get a lot of primary ball handling reps just because he can be a real threat going downhill with his speed, with his length, with his touch around the rim, tighten up that handle again to get it to the point where it was a couple years ago or even better. And then that mid range is a threat. Now he went from being a mid thirties percentage guy as a mid range shooter to into the forties. If you continue to add that dimension to your game, not only does it make your post game better, which he dropped off efficiency in his post game, you can go from post post to face up. Uh, in the low block shit, even, even in the high block. And you're a legit threat where I can either take two dribbles, spin and get to the rim. Or if they play that spin, I can just shoot right over you and I can, that's money for me, you know, yep. or go, going downhill. If they collapse the paint on me, which they always do with him because him with the ball in the deck going downhill 
he's going to be his first initial man, but then they put two, three bodies. There's a funny picture. I'll send it to you at some point with the Miami heat. When they saw Pascal get past his initial man, it was like four bodies there. And it's like, it's like the Giannis treatment almost. So yeah. if you can keep all of them honest by continuing to improve those reps as a mid range shooter, and you go from being a league average mid range shooter to one of the above average or elites, you're not going to be scoring 24 a game. It's going to be, 25, 20, you're going to be one of the best scorers in the league. So that's what I see with Pascal. Get your dribble back to being where it needs to be because it used to be that. And then just continuing to get those mid-range reps because they already can't guard you. Yeah, 100% agree. I think think when when I said that he took a major shot creation leap, I think a lot of that, if not the vast majority of that, was in the mid-range. Right, that's what we saw. We saw him hitting one-legged, you know, one-legged fadeaways, and and you know, he just seemed way more confident that now, if his three isn't falling, he can he can attack the rim. And if you're going to play drop on him, that's fine because now he can pull up from mid-range, and that's exactly what he was exploiting last season. So if he can just keep on improving his handle, like you said, then that's going to allow him to become more confident to shoot those mid-range and off-the-dribble shots that he had so much success in last season, which gives us the optimism that we currently have on Pascal. I don't think we'd be as optimistic as we had as we are if he had not taken that shot creation leap. So Absolutely. I totally agree. I think improve your handle and just keep on practicing your off-the-dribble you know, take do exactly what you did at last offseason. Whatever helped Correct. you take that shot creation leap, do exactly that again. And the handle will be conducive to that also. Yep. Lastly, Ken Birch. Ken Birch had let me let me find his uh so uh I believe he had somewhere around uh thirty minutes per game. I believe if I, I could be mistaken, but I unfortunately I don't have minutes on this sheet. But he had um seven point two points. 2.8, sorry, uh, 49% from the floor, 25% from three, which kind of seems deceptive to me because I thought he was a way better three-point shooter than 25%, but there you go. Um, 5.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and 0.7 steals. We've already talked a lot about Ken Birch, so maybe this can be relatively shorter, but you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think about Ken Birch this season? What do you think that he will bring? If you want to just reiterate kind of the things that we talked about, that's totally cool. And uh, what would be your off-season homework? shoot the ball from three at the very least from the corner, just be a threat. The Raptors want to play a lot of five out. They want Van Fleet, Siakam, OG to create collapse defenses, get it to open shooters. Don't be the liability at the very least take a hundred shots from the corner every few hours per day. Um, do that in terms of regarding like stats, just cause he's going to split time with precious and he's not going to be a focal point. He's going to be the fifth option there that eight points a game, six rebounds, hopefully, a block and a half, um, 50% from the field or 55% from the field, he's good inside too. And then if the three ball doesn't need to be 35, 36, but if you can get to 33%, like a da- if he can have like a Daniel Tice role or career where you're not going to be shooting a ton of threes, but you need to keep people honest and hit a hit one of those a game, be a good role man, finish alley-oops, be a good defender. That's what I'm thinking about with Ken Birch. Yeah, I think for me, like, all those things absolutely yeah i think i think we just kind of need the full package from him i think he you know we can't expect a leap and i think we will see a leap um i agree with your stats i'd say honestly this is this is one where i kind of want to yeah i kind of want to predict the stats myself as well i think that i'd i'd go with maybe 13 points per game no that's a little bit high you know what 11 points per game i think i feel pretty confident about that i'd say he gets maybe two assists i don't think that's going to change much maybe two or three assists per game 
and I think he'll get somewhere around nine rebounds. I really yeah, a lot do. of it is minutes conducive with him, or like minutes contingent, excuse me. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just to finish off real quickly, 49, uh, 49% from the floor. Yeah, I think he might even go up to maybe 53 54% from the floor, and I think mm-hmm. he brings up his three-point from 25 to maybe 28, 29. I'd be really mm-hmm. happy. I wouldn't even be surprised. You know what? No, knowing the, how the, the Raptors shooting coaches, I'm going to go ahead and predict 32. 31-32. That'd be nice. Three. And yeah, and you're doing just you're an fine. Undersi- so. You're an undersized center. That's kind of your duty. You know, that's kind of what mm-hmm. you got to do. So, yeah, I think I think that. And um, I was watching some of, you know, some old Raptors footage, I think, a couple days ago. And I kind of noticed, you know, Ken Burge is actually a really great rebounder for his size. That's something that I don't think I really noticed during, uh, you know, and it could have been a small sample size because I was just looking at those games particularly. Um, but what, what, what are your thoughts on him on rebounding wise? Because I think that's the most important thing that he needs. I don't know if that's something you can improve during the off season rebounding, like, you know, but that is the yeah, thing he, that I think is going to be the, the pivotal thing for him and for us. Yeah. Um, the, the players that I excited about with their rebounding potential is more so precious than Kim. I, that was a problem with the team giving up second chance points. The margins, that errors were slim. A lot of games that we lost where under 10 right so it's just it would have been nice to have a few more of those rebound you know a few rebounds but the value of having a bunch of six nine guys is if they all box out one of the five or one of the four is going to get it um yeah i with more minutes you're going to see that uptick you know five and what would he get five and a half I, I i would need to see what he got as a raptor versus as a total but more minutes for him there's there were games where he got double digit rebounds and had double doubles like there's intrigue there for especially with someone with you know with his size um you know i don't it's hard to predict that because usually the traditional seven footers get all of them but for someone his size absolutely it's a point of emphasis for the team you don't want to give up second chance points the team cannot afford giving up rebounds because we're just not good enough as a half court offense yet maybe it's different this upcoming season but uh yeah, you don't want to beat yourself. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. But he, yeah, he's decent, and I expect more rebounds from him. So I 100% agree. I think that's an amazing point, and that was something that I had anticipated um, earlier on before we came on. I think that that's that's the thing, isn't it? That's kind of a point that I made about you know how the uh, how the Celtics could end up if they were going to beat the Nets at all. I mean, which they weren't without Jalen Brown and Robert Williams and Kemba. But if they were going to, then it was going to come down to Robert Williams and his ability to to get his boards. Because the Nets, you're just not, if you go toe to toe with them and you have the same number of shot attempts, you're not going to beat the Nets because they're just, they have way better shooters. So what you need to do is beat them on the boards and make sure you get more attempts so that, you know, whenever they get a three, you know, whenever you miss, you have another opportunity to get a three so that if they get a three, you know, on one shot, you get a three on two shots. It doesn't matter, but every possession is like that. So we need Ken Birch to do that for us. Same with OG, who's also an excellent rebounder. We saw him beating Robert Williams uh, to a lot of tips during that during that Celtics Raptors series, you know, OG is a re, you know pretty ridiculous rebounder actually when he was playing that small ball five. So, so yeah, I think we I, so we're both in agreement that his offseason homework would be rebounding them. Absolutely. But we're we've already talked a lot about Ken Birch and how high we are on him. So, so yeah, good shit, man. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty dope. Just to briefly go on the on the rebounds though, we we ranked number twenty eight in total rebounds per game in the NBA out of thirty teams. And you know that'll help. Uh, what will help is just the direction of the team wanting to go four or five guys that are six, eight, six, nine. A lot of the issues with rebounding is when you overhelp or you play a lot of help defense, it takes guys out of position. It's not so much that the guy's incapable of getting rebounds, but we've seen this a lot where 
say against that series against the Celtics, right? If you have Serge Ibaka coming out in space or Marcus Gasol coming out in space to guard someone and they want to, at the time, maybe the personnel required them to be a little more switch heavy, who's the seven footer at the rim to gather a rebound when you force a contested shot and it's a miss, right? Versus when you have a bunch of six, eight, six, nine guys that are very good defenders. If you need to play help, there's another six, eight, six, nine guy waiting for you instead of a smaller guard, or you might not need to switch as much because they're all elite. Def- like Pascal doesn't need help. OG doesn't need help. Scotty, when he gets there, doesn't need help. Precious has shown that he can guard in space. Kem has shown little flashes that he can guard in space. So it's like, if you got a switch, you're, you got another six, eight, six, nine, that's going to, you know, crash the paint. If you, if you don't want to switch, no one can, no one's going to get beat. Right. So that's how you got to kind of look at things and just how the team transitions into just this new makeup and look that they want to have the rebounding thing. will kind of figure itself out. So. Absolutely. With the type of profile of, of roster that we have now, I think those are two, I agree. I think those are two areas that we're really going to excel at. We're going to have unparalleled switchability in the league defensively. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to be a nightmare to defend against. And in transition, Absolutely. we've all got, you know, long dudes who can just like Giannis, you know, take up the entire length of the floor in just a few steps can finish at the rim. You know, you're looking at Delano, Scotty, even though there are question marks about both of their finishing, they can become those players, especially if it's, you know, in transition, they're both excellent transition players. Like I I believe it was Sam Vicini who said that if you've got Scotty in transition, that's it. (laughs) That's a bucket. It's a bucket. And not only just as a bucket, but as a playmaker too. So exactly. And you got Fred, you got OG, you got Siakam. Those are all just nightmares in transition. So that's going to be really great. Yeah, good stuff, man. All right, so let's move on to our last thing before the mailbag, Ross Rewards. So this will be a real quick thing, but sixth man of the year. Who would be your sixth man of the year? Who do you think that's going to be for the Raptors? I say Scotty Barnes because he's going to play a lot so. of the year as a sixth man, So and he's going to be very valuable. He just conducive to winning. He makes winning plays. So so you'd take Scotty Barnes over Malachi and Chris Boucher and Precious? Yeah, yeah I'd take Scotty. He's just going to be an elite defender. He's going to be probably the – second or third best playmaker on the team. If he hits a few open threes or it just doesn't hurt you making those open threes. And then just in transitions, the demon, you're going to kind of look at him as like the Van Fleet and Siakam before the Kawhi uh, trade where they were just that bench mob. They were the best players on that bench mob. Right. So it's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I see him kind of separating himself from the pack as the season goes along. So him and and I think you him and Malachi being the new Fred and Siakam. Yeah. Like I, that'd be, you know, and then like, who else you, and you got Chris too. Like Chris is not Jakob Perto, but like, you know, he's a, he's a big, that's valuable. So like different type of game, but I'm, I'm a little more optimistic of the bench. It's just that we have question marks of the half court creation, but the, this team will be deep. You know, they, they're not going to be scared. They'll be able to defend one through five. So, but yeah, I got Scotty's my sixth man. Other yeah. Year. I think I agree because when I, when I raised that, to you just now and I was like well, you'd take them over the other competitors right Chris Boucher um Malachi and, and Precious and then you know you you explained that and as I was thinking I was like you know what yeah Scotty Barnes kind of does a little bit of everything that they do he's got the playmaking and the shot creation you know he's got just that which which Malachi has he's got you know he's not as nearly as good a shooter as Chris Boucher is but he's got rim protection right and yep. he doesn't you know he won't uh absolutely jump on top of you every single time that you pump fake. So, you know, there, there's a plus there defensively. And then you've got, you know, he can, he can pretty much hang around with everything that, that precious does as well. So I agree with that. Um, most improved player. Who do you got for that? 
a most improved player on the team, OG Ananobi, without a doubt. I the yep. leaf is coming. Has to be. I'm optimistic. It's gonna be there. I'm very excited for OG. I, I agree. Think I think it. I think it definitely has to be because you know he's already working really hard on his handle and all that. And like we were discussing earlier, his handle is gonna open up a whole bunch of other things for him. Um, and with Pascal being out, let's assume that he's out for like maybe a month and a half. I know he's ahead of schedule, but let's pretend that he's out for a month and a half. OG getting all those on-ball touches really early on in the season, it could it could really you know set the tone for him for the rest of the season. Like even when Pascal comes back, the fact that he's had those touches, that he's been you know through those situations where he's the guy, it's going to allow him to kind of take on that role a lot with a lot more confidence later on in the season, right? You're right, absolutely. 100%. So, yeah, no, totally agree. So, six man of the year, Scotty, most improved player, OG. Who do you got as MVP? That's the one that's probably the difficult one. I still got Pascal. Um, I don't want to compare him to Tatum and the Siakam and Anobi pairing to Tatum and Brown, but I can really see like that type of that's the shift of where this team is going. They're going to really rely on those two guys at the very least until OG or not, or excuse me, Scotty kind of develops in his own and, you know, Fred is going to be their all-around playmaker, shooter. He's going to do everything. But the the engines of this team and this team is going to go as far as Siakam and Ananobi take them. And I think just Siakam continues to add a new dimension to his game every year. I think the time off to get stronger, develop his skills. It's not like he's not developing his skills and he's just sitting on his ass, you know, at home rehabbing. He's working. The boy's working, right? Um, so just with that added time off, especially – you play finals basketball and then you have two months of an off season and then you're a number one option and you start off really well, but then you get hurt and then teams are starting to adjust a little bit. And then it's a, a COVID and you don't pick up a basketball and then it's a bubble and the bubble ends. And then you only have a month and a half off or two months off. And then it's a season and then you get hurt and there's COVID and it's Tampa. So it's just like, this is the first time in a while he's been off for a few months. going to be off damn near six months of no basketball, no NBA basketball, I can get my body right to where it needs to be. I can get my mental health right to where it needs to be. I can get my skills to where it needs to be. And I think it's just going to make him a better basketball player. Like, like if he's a, if he's a 24, eight and five guy or 24, eight and six shit, if he gets a 25 a game with good efficiency, like we're right back in the thick of things. So oh, yeah. um, Siakam's my guy for a lot of all the shit I give him. Uh, I, I'm riding with Pascal here. My answer is Fred Van Vliet. I think that That's um, a good one, though. I think if he fixes his shot selection, man, you know what I mean? Like, I think that if he f- fixes his shot selection, his efficiency will improve. And if he is a smarter, more efficient player, that means less turnovers and less bricks for us. Mm-hmm. We shoot a higher percentage from the floor and from three. And it'll also allow him to kind of keep up his, um, you know, if he's taking smarter shots and passing the ball when he needs to be then that also means that well, obviously the, the obvious advantages of that is that we create more open looks. We just play better basketball overall. But, mm-hmm. you know, if he's doing more of that, then that means that he's able to preserve more of his energy for actual, you know, for actual good quality shots and on the defensive end as well, which we're going to absolutely need from him. Um, especially guarding, you know, the Kyle, the, not the Kyle. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> for guiding, yeah, no, guarding no, the no, Kyle Lowry's and the, and the, yeah. And, and the, um, I well no, I guess not Ben Simmons, but you, you know all of those shifty the Kyrie Irvings, right? The shifty point guards in the, the East and, and some of them in the West, the Chris Pauls, absolutely. So you know, so you you can see that just a simple thing like that, just you know, getting more I guess shooting reps in the off season will help him with his efficiency shot selection. I'm not sure really how how a player goes about improving that. Um, you know, maybe just looking over film, I guess. 
But, you know, you improve those two things and you can see how that'll just kind of trickle down and, and improve us kind of like all across the board. So, yeah, for me, it's Fred. Yeah, good stuff, man. All right. So ready to move on to the questions? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So Isa asks, do you think OG is going to be getting to handle the ball more like we've seen spurts of over the last two seasons? Or do you think the drafting of Scotty Barnes means that we're sub- submitting him to a 3 and D off-ball cutter role? What do you think? OG's going to have a lot more ball handling, creating for himself, creating for others. This is why you had last year where I don't want to say intentionally tanked, but if the Raptors really were serious about making the play and they probably could have, a lot of it was, you know, maybe we're not going to be a finals contender anyway. So like, let's see what we have in our young guys and let's give them an opportunity to, you know, add new dimensions to the game, kind of give them an opportunity to fail a little bit. And at the very least at the early on um, of this season, especially with no Pascal, OG's kind of, it's him and Van Fleet that are going to be like the engines of the team and the ball is going to kind of run through them. And people are going to see OG as whoever is on OG is going to be like a little bit of a mismatch. Like OG, we're going to expect him to, to cook. We're going to expect him to get some buckets and uh, I'm confident that he will. So yes, uh, to answer Issa. Yeah, me too. I think, I think he is going to be getting more touches. I think it ultimately comes down to, you know, how large a leap does he take in the offseason? If he comes back and he's really, really great off the dribble, um, you know, he's just improved overall as a shooter. He can pull up from mid-range, you know, maybe he's improved his finishing package a bit more, adds a floater or something like that. Then I think that he's that makes it even more likely that he's going to get more touches. You know, there's a chance that he comes back and he's our primary option even when Pascal comes back kind of a low chance but there's a chance right if he, because if, og if can play show, it's a show me thing yeah no absolutely it's a it's a meritocracy on the team so like even with the scotty scotty's got to prove that he can handle the ball at the nba level and can you know assume some of that responsibility but og's kind of earned it with his play towards the end of the year and he's just with his age his development curve you want to give him every opportunity to do that absolutely and you know again so if he if he comes back and he looks ready to go he looks you know he's a he just had an amazing offseason. He's he's got a you know greater bag just overall, and you know you're gonna see it more. You're gonna see a higher likelihood that he's gonna handle the ball more. So, um, yeah, that's that's so I agree, and I think that he will come back after you know having taken a leap in the offseason. So I think he will get more touches. That's Absolutely. my my train of thought. So our friend OG Juan Kenobi, uh, he asked, since the Mavericks have missed out on another set of free agents, does that make them more likely to trade for Dragage? So we could just rephrase this question as, you know, what are the odds that the Mavericks will trade for Dragage? Kind of, you know, even though they've they've kind of like not really done anything with respect to free agents. Because I know the re- before you answer, I know that the, the reports. I don't. You've probably seen them, but some of the reports have said that they're planning on actually not trading, but you know, waiting until the Raptors just buy him out and then grabbing him as a. I'm aside, not gonna move like that. No, I, yeah. I ultimately at some point in the season you're gonna see a trade where it's Goron going to the Mavericks. He's a veteran in this league and has kind of earned the right to make that type of decision, especially with one year left in his deal. And or I, I, there's an outside chance that he he rides it out with the Raptors just because the Raptors are way better than he thought. You know, so like maybe if if he was in a similar situation, but this was the Raptors going into the bubble or like that type of season. I'd assume that he'd want to stay because they're competing, but him, he's never won a championship. He has a chance to play with Luca, who that's his countryman. You know, it just kind of works out that way. And Masai's playing a little bit of hardball, but I think ultimately he'll win because you have Luca, you have Luca locked up long term. You believe in KP. You want to add 
NBA players. They just don't have that many NBA players, guys that you can throw out in a playoff game that can create, that can hit shots, that can make plays. And, you know, Goran Dragic can do that. And you're going to have to pay up. And Masai is kind of, if Masai wants to say, I'm going to ride it out. Like, he's just going to stay here all year. And, you know, if he leaves, so be it. I got Precious Achua. That was the main piece anyway. I can afford him. He's not locked up long-term. Masai is going to be petty like that. So, ultimately, I think the Mavericks will have no choice. They're going to have to just, they're going to have to cough up a couple assets. If they want Goron, I think ultimately they will because you don't want to just, oh, we're not going to do this because we don't want Masai to, like, abuse us or whatever. You have Luka Doncic, and you want to win a championship with Luka, so you're going to go out and you're get You're on thin ice with Luka. Like, you're, you're under a lot of pressure to go and get stuff. Who have they added? They have, they've yeah, added, course, course. what was it, Reggie Bullock? You know, that's like, not they, really... They re-up Tim Hardaway. Like, I mean, Tim Hardaway's a good player, but, you know, he's... Your second option needle. is KP. Yeah, your second option is KP, and KP hasn't... And he hates you, apparently. <laughs> exactly. So... So to answer that question, yes, I ultimately there will be a trade. I don't think that'll affect the Raptors' playoff chances or anything like that, um, because you still have Malachi, you still have Chris, you still got Scotty. Um, but yeah, he's if he wants to get there, we need some assets, and I think we'll ultimately get those assets. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I just a point that you were making earlier about um, you know Masai's not going to do that. Yeah, one of the benefits. A lot of people were complaining back near the trade deadline you know we could have got more for kyle lowry blah 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 blah. which i'm happy that we waited i would have rather i would have preferred just precious over just tyrese maxi i honestly might have preferred precious over tyrese maxi in a late first honestly maybe like i i really really like precious and he can show on, us more of that yeah it depends on the direction of the team like obviously tyrese maxi is a better basketball player like a better talent and a position of need but the raptors are going away from that conventional point guard shooting guard but they're embracing positionless basketball they want five guys that can do everything just like everybody else and like bobby webster came out and said if i could have five ogs and pascals on the floor at all times i think i can win with that and that's why you got scotty and that's why you got precious and maybe i'd prefer a tyrese maxi because i do believe in having a lead guard that can create for others that can create for himself that's a that pressures the rim and they can create shots for others just because of their rim pressure, but they're banking on their six eight six nine guys to be able to do that. So that's the Plus, case. Uh, how tall is Tyrese Maxey? Isn't he six one six two? Yeah, six one six two. He's undersized. So, so we, so we, and we have Malachi Flynn. So yeah, exactly. you know, at that, at the end of the day, I'd still double down and say, you know what, I'd still rather take Precious over even Maxey in a pick. Like I, you know, yeah, I think they're the really high on Malachi. They're really high on Van Fleet, and they're really high on Malachi, and they're thinking if anyone's going to be undersized, they better be high IQ guys that can shoot that guys that can create off pick and roll and guys that are not liabilities defenders, which they're not Tyrese Maxey isn't a good defender at this point. Maybe he'll never be, but there's a lot of offensive upside there, but they're thinking we are, it's one of those, uh, mom, can I go to McDonald's? No, we have food at home. It's one of those. <laughs> we don't need Tyrese Maxey. We, we, we have a Tyrese Maxey at home. In Malachi. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, the point that I, w- I wanted to make was that a lot of people were criticizing Masai for that, you know, saying we should have taken that deal, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you did all of that just to make a statement that you're not going to get bullied in trade negotiations that, you know, because they thought, yo, he's going to cave. They just really like Precious. I really don't think it's anything about bullying and all of that. I think whatever that was offered to them wasn't going to be better than the, what they were going to get in the summertime. So it's like, you might as well just let Kyle stay here. Like, you know, he's got two young kids as well. Like his family's like, you know, it's a one and done for him, right? In Tampa, just relocating your whole family. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, ah, so I got to relocate them to Philly. No, it makes right? sense. And yeah. No, yeah, totally agree. I, I, all I meant was that, you know, he's, 
you know, Daryl Morey probably thought, you know what, I don't need to offer more. Like he's he's bluffing. He's probably going to take this deal because it's good enough. You and know what I mean? Them. And and it cost them. And yeah, so. they they essentially they gambled. They called this bluff, and and they were wrong. And so I think that this time the benefit of of Masai doing that, taking a stand and making a statement. Now we're going to see that here when we negotiate with the Dallas Mavericks. If they think that they're going to pull a fast one on that and just wait it out or wait until we buy Dragic out, like you said, they've got another thing coming that's not going to happen. Absolutely, you hit the nail on the head right there. So. MVO90 uh, asked a question, aside from OG, who takes the biggest leap in their game? Who do you think? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Chris Boucher, because Chris really? always shows flashes, right? Like, you know, through, as he felt the need or I guess felt the confidence to have a little bit more of a green light, you saw a little bit more mid-range, you saw a little bit more pump fake, let me attack the rim, you saw a little more crafty finishes. Everything with him ends up him being on the floor, but the ball goes through the hoop and like, and then the shooting just got, he went from being a 20 some percent shooter to 38% on high volume. And a lot of people are saying there's no way this, this, I'm like, Chris, not scared. His shoot, his shot mechanics look weird. It's a two hand shot, but guess what? He's six ten with a seven something wingspan. That two hand shot goes right over you. And you know, it's crazy. He also has uh, a lot of four point plays for someone that looks awkward. Like, cause they try to contest. He always falls, but the shot goes in. And so like, I like his touch. I like that. He's not a good, he's not a good dribbler. I'll tell you that, but like, he's not afraid. He's very fearless. If he's added yeah. marriage, he's not scared to do that. He's not scared to try. So like, not scared I, of anything. Than, you could put a hand covering his eyes and he'll still take the three and make it. Exactly. Like it just it's just you want to root for those guys, right? It's just the mentality. Like, you know, you love his story, and it's like he went and, and it's not like he's young, right? So he's what 28 years old, but the mm-hmm. jump in his game from 26 to 27 and 27 to 28, I haven't seen shit like that, right? Maybe so you think he's gonna take another one? It's not gonna That's be a huge gonna... lead. Yeah, it's not gonna be a huge lead, but like say, what is he at? 14 a game? Right, right. 14 a game. Something like that. Um, 13.6. Yep. Yeah. So if he got to 16, would anybody be surprised? He can hit threes from volume. He can finish around the rim and he's already trying to shoot mid range. So it's like, well, the two places to shoot most or where the offense are going in the NBA is at the rim and at three. If he has a little extra dimension at the mid range, which he's tried to, and he's added, it might not always look pretty because it's a two hand shot. He's also 6'10 and with a 7'4 wingspan. He, and it's not like he's getting an elite defensive assignment on them. A lot of times it's either a slow center, undersized center, or they might throw like a, a like a shitty wing, like go handle Chris. And Chris cooked their ass. Like, and he's not scared of the big moment too. Like, you know, so like I'm I'm high on Chris. I like Chris a lot. I think I would not be surprised. Another jump. Just it not it's not gonna be huge, but it's gonna be like it's going to be a marginal jump, but it's going to be like noticeable enough. Like, wow, this wasn't in Chris's game last year. So. Right. Yeah. No, like I said, like I said earlier, I think for me, it's going to be Fred Van Vliet. I think that if he deals, I'm not going to repeat myself. I think if he fixes the things that he, that he needs to fix his shot selection and all that, like I said, it's going to trickle down and it's going to affect all other elements of his play. And it's going to, you know, improve his bot score performance as well. Um, so for, for that reason, I think it's definitely going to be Fred. I think that he's going to take the better scoring leap because he's going to be able to get more confidence from better efficiency, which comes from better shot selection, etc. Um, the only thing that I wanted to respond to with respect to Chris Boucher though, is he couldn't even really get minutes. You remember the first half of the season, he couldn't even get in above Aaron Baines. That's the only thing that and worries he was still, me. Like, he was score. 
But I think Nick Nurse kind of knows that, right? Like, um, I hope so because I mean he's kind of had some really sketchy um, takes when it comes to centers. Like when we all saw that Ibaka should have been playing over Gasol in that Celtic series in the bubble, and he didn't, and that probably could have cost us the series. Like that probably, if you had to nail it down to one thing, we might have won the series if he played Ibaka over Gasol. You know, so yeah, who knows? Or John Small way get more. Touches. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, well, OG I, I was think... ab- Yeah, go ahead. I think the value, uh, sorry to cut you off there, the value with Chris now is you have Ken Birch, you have Precious, you can put them right next to uh, Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher is a help side defender because say, hypothetically speaking, you got like a lineup of Fred, OG, Pascal, Chris, and one of Precious and Kem. Well, the primary defenders are like perimeter defenders. You're happy with Van Fleet. You're happy with OG. Pascal's shown that at the very least, he's an average to above average perimeter defender while being a help, elite help side. But Chris, while is not a perimeter defender, is a very good help side defender. And you pair him up with a, a big that has size that can rebound. And, you know, Chris's thing is it's a little too skinny to be a five, but yeah. he brought you so much offensive value when he played the five. They could score with anybody because – they're playing true five out. Yeah, he has good hands. He can finish um, as a, as a cutter, as a as a roll man, and then he can be out in the corner. He could be out above the break hitting threes. So now it's like if you like almost in the th- in a throwback four role, right? Like because it's positionless basketball now. But like Chris Boucher is like a throwback four who can just kind of do everything. Is a good help side defender. He can kind of guard in space, but not really. And then he's he new Abaka. I would say if Ibaka was like 40 pounds lighter, that's that's Chris's game. He's not going to yeah. bring you playmaking. He's not going to do anything out the ordinary, but he's going to hit shots. He can hit shots from all three levels. He can finish around the rim. As a defender, he's a better help side defender than a true rim protector. Um, just come out and serve as a help, um, uh, especially in the weak side. That's Chris's value, and he's very good in that. And you pair him with someone like a Precious or a Kim that they have the weight to handle a traditional five and they're a little long, you know, a little bigger. So they could be a true rim protector. Chris as a, to help him out. Like I, I like that for him. So like, I, I could see that value for Chris. I'm very high on Chris Boucher. So. Yeah. I was going to say like, I, I mean, it's really interesting that you said that out of all the players, Chris Boucher would be the one aside from OG who takes the biggest leap. I thought, I think that's really interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, he very well could, if he just stops biting on pump fakes as much, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he diversifies his, his offensive game a little bit more. So he's not just a three and D guy, but he's, you know, he can even attack um, inside with maybe some more efficiency. You know, it, I'd love to see him gain a few, you know, like 20, 30 pounds. Man, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Um, I have one but, last thought know. on him. Yeah. Towards the end of the season, the way he attacked closeouts because everyone was scared of him shooting the ball. He'd hit a pump fake, step in and pull a mid range. It didn't always go in, but like that's. Like, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, at yeah. the very least, you're trying that out. Because now people respect you as a shooter, as a, as a three-ball shooter, right? So just being able to pump fake, put the ball in the deck, one, two, I'm going to pull up. That's how I'm going to attack closeouts, right? Or yeah. he's long enough that it's two, three steps, takes him to get to the rim. He can dunk on people. Like, yeah. Chris be banging on people. So Yeah, like, yeah. And he was the probably the most, outside of OG, the most improved player last year. So it's like, why yeah. not again? So. And to back you up, like, I think that, you know, when he wanted to take his threes, he was shooting them over anybody, and it doesn't matter how much you contested. Like, if I saw a hand in his face, I don't care. I, I, I genuinely, that doesn't change my opinion as to whether it's going to go, end up in the net. Do you know what that feels like? Like, to have a Raptor player to be like, yeah, when he shoots a three, I don't care how contested it is. It's probably going to go in. 
Absolutely. And he's a four, <laughs> you know, yep. like, so yeah, Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. So he diversifies his skill set a bit more and that's going to be scary. It's a really interesting answer. Yeah, it was good. The last question comes in, uh, it was actually just, it didn't come in from YK Durani, the Twitter user, but it was actually posted by him. I thought it was something that, that would be worth discussing. What do you think is the biggest area of concern for the Raptors next year? You can have multiple answers if you want, but do you think that there's a single one? Uh, a lot of it, you know, it's again, we came in 28th in total rebounds. So that that's an obvious one off the bat. Yeah, but. rebounding is going to – sure. like the big thing for me is there is question marks in the half shot – in the half court creation, whether that be not only from a scoring perspective, but who's going to consistently create plays for others in the half court. You're hoping Van Fleet takes that next step and kind of like you, you made really good points about his shot IQ. And his shot IQ hurts what I think is good playmaking, right? He has – the capabilities to be a very high end playmaker, right? Six point, whatever assist is not easy in this league, right? It's not. So to, to make that jump, a lot of it is just knowing yourself because the fleet can get past people. So it's like, and then there's also Pascal who first half of the 2019, 2020 season was driving all your success in the half court, him and Kyle, no one could guard him. He was scoring at all three levels. He was just unbelievable. And then it just kind of tailed off. Um, and just on high volume has just become an average half-court creator. And then there's OG, who in a small sample size has shown that he can be a good half-court creator. So a lot of it is, I don't want to say we have none of that. It's just there's question marks there. Who can consistently, when I have the ball in my hands, not only create for myself in half-court sets, but create for, can create for others. I think Scotty will help in some um, capacity there, especially coming off the bench, because he'll probably play with a lot of shooters a lot of Gary's, he might pair with a Van Fleet, they might go jumbo, and he's someone that at the very least, he can see over people, he's shown to be adept at the pick and roll level, at the, at the pro level, let's call him at the pro level, he's at the very least going to be an average pick and roll creator, he was very good in college, so you give him some of those half court, especially in easier minutes against other benches, you want to see that, and then maybe elevate that a little bit, but you know, we don't have a true like low post score, hey, I got Embiid, blah, blah, blah. Or I don't have a true ISO. Siakam used to be a good ISO score. He tailed off huge this year, but he used to be one of the elites. It's not he like- He will be again. He will be again. Uh, yeah, but we're, we're banking on that, right? But a lot of it is, you know, we're going to have to run a lot of motion offense. Nick Nurse's offensive philosophy is a lot. Once you guys get the stop on defense, I'll let the players be creative and figure it out on offense, which is nice for their development because they're not necessarily scared to fail. But because it lacks structure, when you need a bucket, so much, yeah, yeah, that's why Nick Nurse's best thing on offense is post timeout or like uh, side out of bounds offense, right? Running a play. I remember there's a play that there was set. It was it was a set for a corner Norm Powell three, and it was damn near always money about a year ago, right? I'm just like I've seen the same video. Yeah, yeah, they used to run it for for Norm particularly. Yeah, exactly. Or even sometimes for Fred, right? And it was just it was. it's like a double screen action that's leading you into the corner. Right. And it's um, so fast. It happens like, just like that. Absolutely. So just like if, if you know, we're not going to have that natural creativity in the half court, Nick nurse might need to take a little more initiative and Finch when Finch was coaching the team, you saw a lot of more horns action and stuff like that to kind of get the half court setting going. And it was effective in spurts, even yep. like that. And then he kind of left the team and went to Minnesota and stuff like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to say the number one issue is not, I don't want to say a problem yet because the season has started, but half court shot creation, 
there's a lot of question marks there, but we have 100%. a lot of options that can solve that problem. You have Fred, you have OG, you have Pascal, to some extent, Scotty Barnes. So it's the biggest issue going into this season, but it very well could end up not even being an issue be at strength. all. It could be a strength. Maybe. So. Might be a so. bit optimistic, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, let's hope that that happens, actually. My mm-hmm. answer is p- pretty simple, actually. I think it is rebounds um, for the exact reason that we discussed before. When you're not a good half-court offense team, you need rebounds to be able That's to hang point. with those who are half-court offense teams, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, like just to reiterate my point about the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, you know, if you if you give them three shots, they're probably going to make all three shots, which means that if you try to take a shot and then you miss, you got to make sure you get that rebound so that, you know, it Absolutely. doesn't matter if, if in one possession they score three, in that same possession, you need to score three. It just doesn't matter how many shots it takes. That's Absolutely. the only thing. So just make sure you get those rebounds. That's why Robert Williams for me was was the key dynamic factor in that series. I honestly think that if they were fully healthy, they had Robert Williams fully healthy because you got to remember, again, in 25 minutes, he had a triple-double with almost a triple-double with nine blocks in 25 minutes with an injured toe. He had turf toe. Imagine what he would have done fully healthy next to Kemba, next to Jalen Brown helping space the floor. He had multiple blocks. That would have I mean, been a competitive it, series. And, and Jason I, that's Kidd what was I was saying. Right. They couldn't guard him. They couldn't stop him. And he had a 50 That's bars. what I was saying. Ball, and Kemba's well. He was really, really good in that second stretch of the season. So if, if Time Lord could just handle the rebound, the rebounds part of that, they could have honestly beat the Nets. They, they could or at least extended the series. So that's exactly what I need to see. Uh, and they have half-court offense, just not the way that Brad Stevens you know, would run them. They, they just ran a lot of iso ball, which didn't mm-hmm. always work. But... For us, that's exactly what needs to happen. You know, if that means crashing the boards on a lot more plays, then then that's what it means. But you know, we need to really make sure that we get some good that we, that we increase that because being twenty eighth in the entire NBA is not good. That that is not I good agree. for rebounds. That is not good. So that's that that for I me agree. is the major improvement area. But yeah, and that about does it. Do you have anything else you want to get out there? No, that'll that'll be all. Eric, thank you so much for having me on the on the show. Big fan. So. uh uh, this is a fun episode for sure. Thanks, Reese, man. I'm I'm a big fan of you and your spaces, and uh, keep doing what it, you're doing. You wanna you wanna plug your socials? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rock Lee Reese uh, on Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is private. You don't need to know that. Um, <laughs> pretty friendly guy, pretty approachable guy. Shoot me a DM, text, you know, whatever. I'm always hanging the, the spaces. Yeah, I spaces. If you ever want to come talk up, you know, come up and talk. You know, the one thing uh, I like about our community is uh, just everyone can kind of shoot the shits and talk, right? Like I'm not like a, I only want to talk to verified that only want to talk to two, three people. Like I don't do like the clicky stuff. If you have zero <laughs> followers and want to talk Raptors, if you got a million and want to talk Raptors or anywhere in the NBA, like I like to shoot the shits, you know? So um, pretty laid back guy. Uh, and hopefully people listening don't take my shit too literal because uh, a lot of it, I, I'll like, I'll be high smoking a blunt and I'll just tweet something that I didn't even think anything of. <laughs> And then it'll like get a bunch of engagements and people are just like, oh, you're like the worst human being ever. Just because I said Van Fleet is this, you know, in real life, I actually like Van Fleet. So, you know, apparently, like, yeah, you know, I just I learned that today. Fleet. Oh, yeah. Like you're a good player. You know, uh, I'm a big college hoops guy. Like everyone knows Wichita State runs. Right. Even as a fresh, a true freshman, like, you know, that's a throwback. So like everyone's a fan of Van Fleet It's just uh, I, I live in the moment when it comes to just everything. And, you know. You can change my mind tomorrow. You can move me tomorrow. So just, just be good. Just be, 
Always be a hooper. Don't don't be ass. Don't be trash. So that that might have beaten Martin Luther King Jr.'s and any of his speeches. Really, hey, that was that was hey. a great closing speech. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anyways, man, thank you so much for for hopping on. That will do it for us. And uh, stay tuned for more content. Thank you for tuning in, and see you next time. Peace.